think he gave far too much credit uh, there, but I'll take it. Oh, thank you so much for uh, the privilege. It works both ways. I never had been in a church where I had a pastor before, after, except when I was, you know, growing up. And so it, we were both learning on the job, so to speak. But thank you for your kind words, Heath. I appreciate that. Uh, it's an interesting thing to come and preach in the church where you belong and see so many people you don't know. Uh, you know, I had to deal with this issue of walking down the halls those first few weeks or months. Uh, I was gone a year, you know, when you came. And then, and so after he'd been here a while, then I came and I'd walk down the halls, you know, like that. And people would offer to help me get a tour of the building or something. And, uh, because they had no idea who I was. So all of this ego and importance about, oh, I was pastor here, just right back down where it belongs. And, uh, it's been a real unique experience uh, to, to be here with you. I, I, uh, uh, was here last week for a few minutes. I was in the Sunday school that meets at eight o'clock, the early risers. And then, uh, I had to go and, uh, had to go, got to go and preach at first at Road Baptist Church in Dallas last week. So I didn't get to stay for the services, but I saw, saw our pastor in the foyer and, and I said, when are you leaving? Because he had called me about today, uh, several months ago. And he said, well, I, I'm not going. And I said, oh, well, listen, we can rearrange. Don't worry about that. I'll just enjoy hearing you preach. Today. No, I want you to go ahead. And uh, he said, I'm going to talk about our trip to Africa, and then I want you to preach. So uh, it is an unusual privilege for us both to be, for me, for us both to be here at the same time. And and thank you, Heath, for letting us do that and your your sweet family. I've watched your, your kids grow up, and I, I thought when I first saw Abby this morning before the first, I thought I was looking at Jamie. And, uh, and, and that's a compliment, by the way, to both of you. And so we are very fortunate. And it is a kind of an unusual thing. Most of the time a pastor will sort of drift out into the, you know, wherever, into the twilight. And, uh, but I was, when I retired, our heart was here. And we didn't want to be anywhere else, but we didn't want to be in the way. And so God has worked it out where uh, we could be together, but, but not ever in a way that was not that was toxic or negative in any, in any way. I'd take a beating before I would let that happen. And, uh, and they knew that. And, and, and the new pastor, I pray, would come to know that. And, and so evidently he did. And, and we're grateful for that. This is a milestone day. We were talking about that. This is not about me, but, but 20 years ago today, this being 4th of July week, uh, 20 years ago today, I stood the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Oak Cliff for the first time. Uh, as pastor. They didn't know me, and I didn't know them. And if we'd all known then what we know now, it probably never would have gone fast that first week. That's not true. But we uh, we were over on Westmoreland and uh, had a good service and all. And then, Ken, you and some of well, then we all went out to Mount Lebanon and and, had, and grilled hamburgers and, and uh, play. And, and to show you how on top of things I was, I had borrowed a truck from a friend of mine in Victoria to drive up and bring some books and things like that. And uh, after everybody said goodbye and the festivities were over for 4th of July Sunday and all that sort of thing, I promptly noticed that I had locked my keys in the truck. And everybody left Mount Lebanon. My wife was in another car, and, they, and I was out there in the wilderness alone. And, uh, and I said, Lord, is this, is, are you showing me what this is going to be? And uh, he said, no. You're just too stupid to remember your keys. I think it was something to that effect. But it's a milestone day 
uh, for us. Uh, I had a grandson. My oldest grandson celebrated a birthday yesterday. Uh, he is now 13 years old and about six foot nine tall. And uh, then I got up this morning and I realized, no, I actually knew. I'd left her a little something. 46 years ago today, Vicki Ray Bell of Carrollton, Texas said, I do, to me. And I said, are you sure? And she said, I do. And uh, we became husband and wife 46 years ago on June the 30th. So uh, it's a it's a real milestone. It's a milestone week for us, and to get to preach here today and be with you is is a great joy. God has made it possible for us to be gone a great bit. Uh, the next three Sundays, I'll be preaching at Wildwood Baptist Church in Mesquite. The last three Sundays, prior to last week, I was at First Baptist Church of Lancaster, and uh, prior to that was, I don't remember now, but uh, been interim in in lots of churches around the Dallas area. But our membership is here and uh, as we all say amongst each other, hey, be a member wherever you want to. Just keep sending your tithe to the mother church. So, uh, so we try to do that, and God has been so good to enrich our lives with the relationships that we have. I remember some years ago talking about earlier days of pastoring when we were in Orange, Texas, down on the Gulf Coast. I took uh, Holly and Rebecca, and we went to the theater in Beaumont. And, and saw a brand-new blockbuster movie. And, and in that movie, Dr. Emmett Brown, the eminent scientist, said to teenager Marty McFly, if you get in this DeLorean and go 88 miles an hour, I can send you back in time. Now, you remember the famous title line that came out of the discussion because some mishaps occurred. Later, he said, now I've got to figure out how to send you back to the future. But that's for another day, another time. He asked him, a DeLorean of all things? Now, some of you don't even remember those, but I do. And uh, he said, well, you know, if you're going to build a time machine, why not do it with class? That was a joke in itself. But he said, "I I can send you back, and if you remember the... The the numbers read out on the dial. He said, if you wanted to see the signing of the Declaration of Independence, I could program in July 4th, 1776, and you could witness it firsthand. Well, you know, that's a kind of an interesting thought. You can can run with that during a week like this with uh, Independence Day and the celebrations that are coming this week. Did you know that it was really not July 4th? And I'm not trying to be a Johnny-come-lately with our history books, but in actual fact, if you go back and study it, the Second Continental Congress passed a resolution of independence from Great Britain on July 2nd of 1776. That's when they voted, that's when they resolved that these colonies were no longer 13 separate colonies that belonged to England, but in fact were a new nation called the United States of America. And so immediately after that, they went into a deliberation about what this means. And they got a report from a group called the Committee of Five, which was chaired by Thomas Jefferson. 
And over the next two days, they look at the, the ramifications. What does it mean for us to make this resolution? They decided that uh, civilization demanded that people who chose to do something as radical as that explain it, explain themselves, make a, are you with me, a declaration explaining, fulfilling, fleshing out their statement that we are and of right ought to be free and a free and independent nation. So, the Congress looked at, debated, went through, and then adopted this, come on now, Declaration of Independence. And that got published because it was the explanation for what they had decided. Uh, it It was a way of following up on what, they had already done. In fact, John Adams wrote to his wife Abigail and said, I believe that July 2nd will go down in the memory and in the history of this nation and will be celebrated generations and generations to come. Well, it was off by two days because it wasn't the the act, but the statement, the declaration that got published. And if you remember when you saw it when you went to Washington for the first time, or if you've seen it in the history books, that color plate that shows it there in big letters handwritten across the top, Congress, July 4th, 1776, and then it explains what they did. That got printed, that got distributed, that got published, and that date stuck in the American mindset that our birthday was July 4th, 1776. I've thought about that. One of those oddities where, and you know, there's always somebody will come along and say, well, it wasn't really that way, you know. I'm not interested in pursuing that. It all happened that week. What I think is important to pursue, however, is what they said. They took a stand. They made a decision. They explained their commitment in a declaration of independence. Now, you fast forward in time to today, I don't know how into current events you are. I suspect that you watch the news as much or more than I do, or you read it or you you Google it or whatever, however you get your sense of current events. But this has kind of been a tough week uh, to to be a conservative Christian American. To me, it is. And, 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 and that's not a political state. It don't mean it to be. If it gets politicized, it's not politicized by me. It would be politicized by people who don't agree, I suppose. And that's okay. That's their right. And, and I don't want to equate everything I believe about democracy, everything I believe about the laws and such as that. I don't want to equate that with, with right and wrong. You, you know, uh, back in my day, college days and all, Vietnam was hot and heavy and People had bumper stickers, my country, right or wrong. G.K. Chesterton said that's kind of like saying, my mother, drunk or sober, you know. uh, (laughs) Kind of a blind commitment. If it's mine, it must be right. If it's yours, it must be wrong. No, I, I I think the events of this last week call for a discriminatory uh, attitude on our part, a sense of discernment, really understanding, 
uh, and, and, and realizing some of the things the Supreme Court has done, some of the things Congress has done, you know what they do? They don't change the truth. They simply distinguish how people whose lives are built on a biblical faith and understanding of morality attempt to live their lives in a very troubled world. And I think it is time for a new declaration. Uh, I can't go back in a DeLorean to 1776 and really, really don't want to. What I do want to do is go back to the pages of God's Word and find out what it means to declare myself to the world, certainly, to the my family, yes, but ultimately to him. And I want you to find just a verse. You could quote it, I suspect. In Joshua chapter 24, you may be aware that at the close of this old stalwart's life, Joshua, who, upon whom the mantle of leadership from Moses fell, had brought the people of Israel. Moses brought them out of Egypt. Joshua brought them into Canaan, into the promised land, what you and I today call the land of Israel. And that old preacher, that old warrior for God realized that this new generation needed to declare themselves too. And he said in verse 15, well, really in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods your fathers served before, beyond the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And verse 15 he said, and you, these are the famous words. And if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, that sounds odd, doesn't it? If it's disagreeable. You know, a lot of people in America today have decided that that it's disagreeable to serve the Lord. In fact, the hardest thing about, as I look at it across the years of my life, is that some of the things I took for granted as being a, a staple of right and wrong, in our country now are ridiculed in the public forum. Uh, a stand that we might take as young people today is unpopular. Uh, you're, you're considered baggage from an older day. You're considered not with it. You're considered bigoted. You're considered uh, judgmental. You're considered out of sync. Uh, I love this phrase, a new phrase. I'm old enough to know it's a new phrase. You hear it all the time. You're on the wrong side of history. You heard that lately? You who believe certain things about marriage, you who believe certain things about sexual lifestyle, you who believe certain things about right and wrong, you're you're on the wrong side of history. (laughs) I got news for you. God's view of history is not up for debate. He is not on trial. Truth is not tentative. And the right is still right. Now, that doesn't make us arrogant. It makes us humble. It's time for a new declaration. So Joshua says, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served beyond the river, in other words, in the past, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living the God of right now, the gods of tomorrow. It was a people caught between 
an ancient biblical history. I mean, who doesn't know about the Exodus? And a future, a a posterity that was in the making. So he says, choose. If, If it's not to agreeable to you to serve God, then choose either the gods of your fathers in the idolatrous land of Egypt or the gods of this idolatrous Canaan, the gods of the Amorites uh, in the land where you're living now. (laughs) Then he said, but for me, I've already made a choice. I've already decided, and I want to declare myself. I want you to understand. I want you to know. You have a choice, but I want you to tell you, my choice has been made. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, that's not made with a, a thumping kind of, uh, of arrogance. Uh, you know, it's easy to get that way or at least act that way. You're talking about them pulling the hair. You know, I don't have any hair. One time my wife asked me why I didn't have a lot of hair on my chest. I said, you can't grow hair on steel. She didn't buy it, but it sounded good at the time, and, it, and we got past that. It's not a matter of thumping our chest and putting our thumbs in our lapels and putting our chin up and looking at the world with disdain and with judgmentalism. Rather, Joshua knew the crisis moment in the lives of this new generation of Israel. And he said, I know the attraction of the idolatry of the past. And I know the popularity of the idolatry all around you. You've got to make a choice. And I want to say to America today, during this birthday week of our freedom as a nation, America has to make a choice. It's time for a declaration, a new declaration. Joshua said, as for me, that choice has been made. And my house, the people over whom I have Love and authority and influence and persuasiveness. Those who follow me, those who look to me, we're clear, but you're not. And you need to be. And so you and I as a church today can look at the stumbling, fumbling efforts of our American culture here in the 20 teens who can't tell the good from the bad and the right from the wrong and get it mixed up and think we're on the wrong side of history It's not a time for us to be downcast. It's not a time for us to be discouraged. It's not a time for us to be uh, disconsolate. It's a time for us to be declared and decisive. We'll win people to our understanding of the truth of God, not by our judgmentalness. We will win them by our conviction. And by the way, God blesses that kind of choice. Now, what does it mean to declare yourself like that? First of all, it's a, it's a declaration of gratitude. Look at, look at, if you can, skim the first few verses of this chapter. Uh, look in verse 3. God says, I took your father Abraham. Look in verse 4. I gave Jacob and Esau. Look at verse 5. I sent Moses and Aaron, plagued Egypt by did these things in your midst. Look at verse 6. I brought you into the land of the Amorites. Look at verse 7. I did this. Uh, Look at verse 10. I delivered you from the hand of Balaam. In that few verses, 
depending on how your English Bible is translated, the personal pronoun for God is used 17 different times. Now, now that would sound very egotistical if you and I were doing that. We got to say, well, now, here's what I've done. Here's, here's what I did, and you ought to be conscious of what I am. But, but no, God is saying through Joshua to the people, why are you here at this point of decision? Why are you here on the, on the brink of a whole new future? Why do you have a land and a, and a heritage in front of you? Where did this come from? How did this happen? It's because God blessed them to bring them there. I did it, God said. I gave you Moses and Aaron. I gave you the warriors. I gave your enemies into your hand. I gave you the law. I gave you leadership. I gave you man in the wilderness. I gave you dry shod feet as you crossed the Jordan, as you crossed the Red Sea. I gave you, I gave you, I did it. And you and I as Americans will be better people in our country when we look back and say without apology and with clarity and with confidence, we have a great nation. We are a strong people. Why? Because God blessed America. God did it. And because he did it, we need a gratitude commensurate with our blessing. You want to know, you want to see a strong patriot? Then look at somebody who's grateful for what he's been given. Not from his own hand, but from the Lord above. Is that a novel idea? No, it's not. A couple of years ago, Vicki and I, between pastorates, between interims, Got to travel in, in, I guess it was 2011. We, I got to preach in the uh, Maritime Islands of South Carolina, and I got to go to uh, Fort Clatsop in, in uh, Oregon, where Lewis and Clark ended at the Pacific Ocean. We got to, got to cover the whole country, not all in one trip, but over a period of months. And, I got to, and part of what we did on one of our history trips, if you want to call it that, was to go to Philadelphia and see, of course, where this Continental Congress passed this declaration and made it known. And then elsewhere in Washington, went in that round dome, the Jefferson Monument, and inscribed, if you've been there, you know, some of his sayings on the walls. Thomas Jefferson said, God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that those liberties are the gift of God. You see what I'm saying? Even those men who were there on July 4, 1776 said, God did it. And our future is secured by constant gratitude to him for his gifts. I want you to celebrate your heritage as an American. It's time for a new declaration of gratitude to God who gave it to us. Uh, there, there's, there's danger all around us with a decision we have to make. Free people have to make decisions. And in the history of men and nations, sometimes we get it wrong. And I think we've gotten a couple of them bad wrong this week. However, it doesn't change anything about our call in Christ. It just clarifies it. It makes it crystal clear. 
that as people of God who look into the Word of God for our sense of direction, there are things that we believe that will continue to hold true. Sometimes we just have to outlive those around us. A declaration of gratitude. God has blessed our country for a purpose. That purpose is not so we can lord it over the world. That purpose is so that we can send desks or sewing machines to Kenya or schools or missionaries to the Mosai and just such things as we've heard so clearly this morning. Well, it's not only a declaration of gratitude. This sounds redundant. It's a declaration of decision. Joshua said there are many gods. You know, that's, that's just as true today. We, we, we have this culture clash in this country. We hear constantly that Islam is the fastest-growing uh, religion in the United States. I, you know, that very well may be. I don't know the numbers. Uh, and, and, and we're told that to, to hold to a biblical conservative view of, of, of truth as we understand it revealed in Christianity is to be untrue to our heritage. That's not true. That's not even historically accurate. But that we have to be open to all kinds of beliefs. You understand openness to the, to the freedom to believe or not believe is absolutely right. Mutual acceptance of every mythology and of every heresy is not incumbent upon you as an American. In fact, your privilege is to believe the things that you've been taught and that in your own life have come to be true and to share them with the same kind of sense of urgency that we sense that the other side of the world has that wants to share it with us. It's time for a declaration of decision. Joshua gave Israel the opportunity to make life's greatest choice. I mentioned uh, 20 years ago this week, uh, it was our privilege to come to what, well, it's still legally, First Baptist Oak Cliff, the Oaks Baptist Church, uh, as pastor. But I, I haven't told you that 46 years ago today, uh, Vicki, my wife, said, I do, and uh, I said, are you sure? And she said, yeah. I said, okay, I think I can work off of that, and I said, I do too. And, and so today uh, is our 46th wedding anniversary. Last night, I was thinking about that. Uh, what was I doing 46 years ago tonight? Uh, mainly worrying. Uh, Mainly, blindly stumbling. I learned something that I, that's been helpful in pastoring all through the years after that. I, in fact, I've got a couple of weddings in the next two weeks, and uh, so that's still going on. But uh, I learned that the groom goes to the rehearsal dinner and keeps quiet. <laughs> the mother of the bride is the queen of Sheba. The bride in, is her chief lady-in-waiting, but the mother of the bride is the main one. The groom, you know what a groom is? He holds the horses. That's mainly what he does. So, what a day it was for us. Uh, I think 
that I fell in love with Vicky when I was about 16. It's, it's hard to go back and pinpoint it. I remember after church fellowship one Sunday night when I first noticed it and took a second look at her. I've known her since she was a little girl of seven. Uh, but I remember sitting in the car on the curb at 1822 Baxley Drive, Carrollton, Texas, taking her home from a date and saying to Vicki Ray Bell, I'm in love with you and I want you to be my wife. She didn't say anything, which was better than what she could have said. <laughs> Finally, when she spoke, she said, I'm going to need a little time. And I said to her, that's okay. You've got the rest of my life. I was absolutely as profoundly convinced as I am that I'm standing here today. It took her a while. The longer I've looked at myself in the mirror, the more I understand that. But I remember a couple of weeks later after we came home from a date, we were sitting right there in that same curb in front of her house. She said, Bill, the answer is yes. We didn't understand much about marriage. I had a college degree and a house to live in and a job. That's all I had. She was still a teenager. I'm not advocating that. But I knew what God had done in opening that position of wife and companion and lover in my life one time. And I was content to wait until she came to that same conviction. And then that night, she said, I've decided. And it completely changed our lives. Joshua said to the people of Israel, there are a thousand choices. The gods of the Amorites, the gods of the Egyptians. You have got as a generation a myriad of possibilities open to you. But there is a liberating joy in saying, I am going to be lashed with unbreakable chains of faith to the cross of Jesus Christ. I see the world. I know the choices, and I choose him. It's life's greatest decision. And it will change everything about your tomorrow. Quickly, time is gone. This is a decision of hope, a declaration of hope. Because Joshua laid the future of the nation, you and I look back, call Israel, the people of God, on their shoulders. There comes a time, pastor had it right, there comes a time when the old steps away and the new comes in. That's true of pastors. One day you'll do that. Uh, that's true of me. I look back across the years and, and see how God not only, I think, prepared me for a life of ministry, but prepared me for a time when I gave that ministry up. <laughs> 
to someone else fit and ready to walk through that door and to carry that torch and to be that man of God that only he could be. It is a liberation to the heart of a man like me to just get to come sometimes and see the Lord at work. Boy, I tell you, it's, it's vitally important for every preacher to realize that God's not going to go out of business when I quit pastoring. That'll set you free. And I've looked around and watched you. I told one of the folks where I was preaching one time, they said, well, you're still a member of the office. I said, yeah. And, and I said, you know, when I go to the second service, boy, I see so many people I don't know. And we, I laughed about that. I said, they don't know who I am, and they offer to help me and all that sort of thing. And I don't know who they are either. And that's exactly the way it ought to be. That's the way it should be. As the days come and go and God moves and grows and changes his church, it's all about tomorrow. And it's about hope for tomorrow. Building, processing. Some of you know the name Ryan Jesperson. Many of you don't. But some of you were here when Ryan was here on our staff. Did you know that this week Ryan Jesperson becomes the director of urban missions for the Baptist General Convention of Texas after seven years as pastor at Grace Temple? When Ryan first came to our church, we were still in the, in the, the rented facilities that Ken Bird got for us over on Cedar Ridge. And, and Ryan was a college intern at DBU. The only reason he came was he was in a course that required they find some preacher and hook together and, and run around a while. And he wasn't married. He, he, I mean, he didn't understand marriage or women or anything. And uh, I look at what's happened this week, and I realize the investment you have made as a church because you poured yourselves into his life. And now... Our state convention has looked at, we went to a church that wasn't dying. It was gasping. And because he saw in that urban environment a way to do it a little different, the church began to grow and it's flourished and about twice the size now it was when he went there. And it's mixed and multitudes of ministries going on. And the state convention said, we need somebody that knows how to do that to come help all of us. So now what you helped him become is going to be shared all over the state Baptist family. That's hope for the future, you see. And that's what happens when you make decisions about what counts. I'll tell you this, we'll be through. Uh, Thirteen years ago, next month, I don't know why I'm stuck on the numbers, but... Uh, I, got to, I got to entertain at the White House. Now, that's a pretty unusual thing to say, and it's true. And I got to go. At the, now, the president who lives there now didn't live there then. And the guy who lives over in Preston Hollow didn't live there then. The guy who lived there then and I were both born in Hope, Arkansas. And uh, some of you who are old enough remember when he campaigned, he used to run around the country going, I still believe in a place called Hope. <laughs> and that was his campaign slogan, one of them. We got to go, and I had my guitar, and I was going to sing with a country band, and we were doing a show. And, and the man who had invited me was a man who ran shows and carnivals and, and things like that. He had been invited to, by the Clinton people to come to the White House and put on a, a picnic and a carnival 
for the White House staff and their families and the press corps and their families, and he had a group called the Stars of the Grand Ole Opry to come and sing, and I was part of that group to come and sing that day. And we got to go upstairs. We got to go in the living quarters. We got to go all around and see the White House, and it was a way I never had seen it before when I was there as a, just as a tourist. And to be there as an entertainer was an interesting experience. But we were in a little, a little drawing room, not any bigger than from me to the front row, and the grandson, five-year-old grandson, of the promoter that had put all this together was in the room. And the Ferris wheel was going outside and the merry-go-round was going and the tilt-a-whirl had all been set up on the south lawn, the one where the, with the curved columns and all. You see all that all the time. And, that, and that's where the picnic was. And we were going to go out to sing later and go out and rehearse later. But I was just sitting there and the president's wife were over here and, and, all, and this little five-year-old boy whose granddaddy was the one that... One of the young Marines who was there on duty said to him, uh, I sure like those rides. Thank you. He said, uh, do you know how to run those rides? The little five-year-old said, yes, sir. He said, really, you know how to run them yourself? He said, I can put them together. And the Marine said, really? How old are you, son? He said, five. He said, you can put them together? And he said, yeah, I own it. I own it. Five years old. I'm sitting over here on a couch, absolutely taking everything in, you know, just big-eyed. And, and I've thought about that since then. His granddaddy owned it. But he'd, all he'd ever known since he grew up, was born, was to be around that and be with his granddaddy. And he'd watch his granddaddy give orders. And he'd watch the men put the things together. He'd watch the people make them run. He'd watch the process as it goes all across the southeast, <coughs> southeastern United States. He didn't own anything. But if you asked him, he did. It was his life. Can you run those rides, son? Yes, sir. I own it. And that is a young man who had a sense of commitment and personal belonging. And that's what Joshua wanted, not five-year-olds, but that's what Joshua wanted, a whole new generation of God's people who had come across Jordan and who had fought their way into Canaan to decide that this future, this hope, this messianic call, this movement of the Spirit of God across the world that he was going to bring a Savior, a Messiah, out of the Jewish people. He wanted young Israel to say to the world, I own it. It's mine. And I believe in what it's for. And that's what God help us, you will do for this church. And that's what we as Americans will do for this nation. Do not let the press set the agenda. Do not let Congress legislate your morality. Look at the world and say, I am an American. God has blessed us and I own it. It's mine. And here is my decision about family and about faith, and about living, and about sharing the hope of the gospel. Amen? It's time for a new declaration. We don't need to get into a DeLorean. We just need to let the Holy Spirit envelop us in what he wants to do today. God help us to do it.